Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk. Mark and Sarah talk. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. We're now ready to talk about side two of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah, the um, once again. This album wastes no time throwing you right in the emotional deep end with what is, I'm going to say, if it's not their best known song, it's probably in the top three, right? With the boxer. We do have a clip. Do you have any, do you have any lead up comments before we hear a clip from the boxer? Just that this song reached number six and it reached number six in 1969. It was originally released as a standalone single and it was Common practice at the time for the standalone singles not to be included on albums, but they did put the boxer on this album, and I think that was the right choice. I think so too. Um, I think that it um, follows the narrative, the narrative path that the album sets really well. And here's a clip. Not that anyone needs one, but asking only workman's wages. I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the wars on 7th Avenue I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome I took some comfort there la 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 that lonesome piccolo um i mean there are so many good i really struggled to find the clip for this song um because there's so many good sketch lyrics like uh where the ragged people go looking for the places Mm. only they would know like this sort of shadow um world that the ragged people inhabit anywhere in the world um This is another wonderful story song that I think I may have a different interpretation of the ending. So I'd like to ask you what you think is happening at the end. Um, It's a, another beautiful, lonely capsule. It it sort of brings midnight cowboy to mind for me, not Mm -hmm. just because of the whores on seventh Avenue. It's not how we talk, Paul. Um, But that just like, utterly cold, harsh loneliness of the city sometimes that you almost would rather get in a fight at a fight club than spend another night by yourself talking back to your TV. Um, I, I mean, it seems like a sacrilege to rank it where I did, given how much respect I have for this song and that I'm not sick of it, even though it's a sort of oldie station classic but um yeah i mean this is this is a great song this is a beautiful song but it's still only number five whoa whoa so seven points i mean look this album is this album is difficult um and so but i'm interested to hear i have two questions for you first of all do you think that it's too long and second of all do you think that at the end, it's sort of like the end of Jacob's Ladder, where the boxer has died and passed over, and what we're hearing in the song is that like last electrical flicker of the brain? Oh. So do you think that the song is told, do you think that the narrator is the boxer? <sighs> Not necessarily. I think that the narrator is like the the filmmaker, I I just get this like Terrence Malicky feeling that this is the this is about the boxer going through the veil. Interesting. See, this is also speaks to the excellence of the songwriting here because it is that then because I think that's a perfectly valid interpretation. Yeah. I mean, if you're like, no, no, it's actually about the, you know, Hegelian dialectic. Like, yeah, it's that, too. That's fine. Like, I I think it can contain those multitudes. I do want to note, I misspoke before. The song peaked at number seven, not number six. We regret the error. (laughs) Um, So to me, 
the last verse of the boxer let's let me just read it to you because i do find this moment in the song to be breathtaking i literally hold my breath during this moment in the song almost every time i hear it in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade and well actually let's go back a bit because we've already heard that the narrator is laying out his winter clothes and wishing he was gone going home where the new york city winters aren't bleeding me leading me going home okay so he's already at a low point in the song where he's putting out his i have always imagined rather moth-eaten sad scarf and <laughs> yeah that heavy overcoat that he got at goodwill and he's that no longer has a shape yes or a exactly <laughs> that that sort of big blankety thing that probably doesn't even really keep him cold because the lining is ripped but he's just doing his best and it i've always thought it was so interesting that he says in the clearing because he's in the fucking city like what i i love that like what's probably i've always imagined it as just being like some sad lot that used to have a building on it right but you say, in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame. I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. Okay, so I think, for me, I am leaving, I am leaving is the narrator speaking. It is not the boxer saying, I am leaving, I am leaving. I think that as the narrator has finally decided he's going to leave like the winter clothes thing was the last thing for him i've always imagined it this way and as he's hustling toward the train station to just give up on new york city he passes by this guy who's just standing in an empty lot still wounded by all of the ways that life actual literal fighting perhaps or just life in new york or just life in general still wounded by all the ways he's been humiliated and he's still standing there fighting in this empty lot purposelessly. And so the narrator notices him as he hustles along in the cold. And he's saying, I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. And this is what always gets me about the way I interpret this part of the song. Because the boxer to me becomes a symbol here. He's like, the he's fighting against New York and he's just fighting against life and there's just always someone who's just the image of someone standing in a vacant lot, bleeding from the nose, crying out and swinging at the air, trying to beat life while someone else hustles away and gives up. That juxtaposition, I find it almost topples me. It's sublime to me because what a perfect distillation of the various points that we all find ourselves at in life where we either do or don't have the the energy for this fight. And yes, to go back to your point, eventually that fight is with death itself and we're all destined to lose. So I think it probably, the, the veil does come up and you know, there is no, uh, Paul Simon has said that lie, la lie was just nonsense for him, that it didn't mm -hmm. mean the word like telling a lie, a falsehood, but I don't right. think it really matters what Paul Simon thinks at this point. The song itself to me means it because the, the narrator is, obsessed with the lie that he allowed himself to believe in believing that he would have his dreams come true in new york and that's why to answer your other question i don't think that the song is too long i think that the 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 image of this guy hustling to the train station for me just saying lie 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 over and over and over again while this poor bloody bastard is behind him swinging ever forever at a thing he cannot beat all of that is just the crushing realization of what a waste it's all been and that is like the fucking saddest song but so beautiful it's the kind of pain that i love there ends my dissertation on the boxer i think that that i mean as you're describing this scene of the narrator rushing to what i imagine is um the port authority oh absolutely it's not grand central with the pretty interior <laughs> no it's uh that scrubbly port authority which is where we would always disembark to on trips to new york when i was a kid and like immediately toothless junkies trying to bite you and your mom um and like when people say they miss that new york i'm like why <laughs> like do you understand that it's gone because all of those troubled people were crushed under the boot of like capitalism and life. Anyway, 
I can exactly picture like where that lot would be. It would be like this man. There's like little snowflakes coming down. He he smells like basement. Yes. He's yelling at a cloud. And he's under one of those old signs sort of peeling off the side of a building for like you need a biscuit or or something. And right. um and like I can exactly picture your interpretation. At the same time, there are no clearings in New York City. I mean, maybe there's one in like Prospect Park, but like a clearing, like there's such a surreal, mm. like end of life, um, delusion quality to a boxer stepping out of some trees in a glade Mm. and into this field there's nothing about his opponent there's nothing about a ring the only the only part of the boxer metaphor that works is the boxer himself like there's no other ancillary figurative language Mm -hmm. to help it and that's why i feel like there's this um you know, at the towards the end of Superman 2, when he chooses to like, or not, it's actually the middle. He chooses to give up his powers. Spoiler, I guess. <laughs> this movie's 40 years old. And uh, like the image of Superman sort of falls away in that chamber. And then Christopher Reeve remains like solid in, in human guise in his human clothes. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I think of as like this um, parting of the consciousness and one part of it is leaving the mortal plane, but then the fighter part of it, the sort of essential self remains. This is so far above my pay grade as a, like <laughs> the, the epistemology of death. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that we're able to create entire Joseph Mitchell novellas plural yes from a song that's five minutes long like i mean and yet it's my number five like i i might be doing this wrong it's <laughs> i might be doing it wrong you know who's not doing it wrong paul simon damn right uh yeah so the where thing did is, you rank this what i love is that we're both right and anybody else who's listening who has a different interpretation is also right yeah unless you're like this song stinks which like if you've heard it too many times i will allow it but if if you can't even make room for the craft, <laughs> yeah, it is. I, you know, it's not every album that is just this chock a block with songs that are so fucking astonishing. Yeah, this is a this is an all time classic that you've heard a gazillion times too many for a reason, and it might not be the reasons that you think. It's legitimate. Yeah. Oh my god. So I love that we both have those levels of interpretation because the song invites them. Uh, it is for me my number two at with ten points, mm. and oh boy, okay. it is far and away by like something like twelve votes the number one song for the patrons. I respect that. Yeah, I do too. So I'm neither mad nor disappointed. Well done. <laughs> and you know you've made the point earlier about how glad you are that there are some emotional breaks on this album, and I am so glad that Baby Driver comes between the boxer and the only living boy in New York, if no, if mm. only for that reason. I regretted not clipping this, and so I, you know, I just didn't clip it. Um, I adore this song. I think the harmonies are great. I think it's really simple. I, I'm my understanding is that it's about a guy deciding to lose his virginity when his parents are out of town, basically. Like, okay, kind of a tonal uh whiplash there but <laughs> yes you need like between the boxer and the only living boy in new york like you need something that's just like hey fast cars and fucking like well that's a little off brand but sure i can sing every single part of this song including reciting the speedway call at the end oh nice I went through a period where I was obsessed with this song in college. I put it on every mixtape. People are like, why are you, are you just being like um, performatively obscure? And I'm like, actually, no, (laughs) for once. I'm not. I just, I just really love the song. Um, Given that I ranked it ahead of the boxer and didn't clip it, this is, this is maybe not the homage that it deserves, but I had it at number four. Whoa. Yeah. yeah, it's just a very uncomplicated 
it's a very uncomplicated response that I have to this song. Like it, it sounds good. It, it creates warmth. Yeah. <laughs> in my ear hole. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's number four. And you know, I don't mean it as an insult when I say it's clearly like a beach boys song. Like Paul Simon as does yeah. the beach boys is how I've always heard it. Yeah. I was like Tom and Jerry meets Jan and Dean. Totally. Totally. Well, um, and you, for me, it's, it's at number six, um, right there in the middle, yeah. but that's there. I got no kick with this song as they say. And I, I do think in terms of the album sequence, it comes at exactly the right time. So the, uh, the patrons feel less enamored of it. Although I will say that even down in ninth place, it still got something like eight votes. So it's not like it was a oh, complete okay. wash. Okay. So that's ninth from them, fourth from you, sixth from me. Ooh, okay. That brings us then, <laughs> as all roads must, <laughs> to the only living boy in New York. I'd like to begin by remembering my experience of watching The Normal Heart on HBO and how my husband came home and I was at like, it was the credits. And my husband came home at that point. And comes in the front door. And at that time, we lived in a place where you went in the front door and then turned left. And there was the TV room. And he found me just, I had just tipped over sideways onto the couch and was laying there with tears streaming at a like 90 degree angle straight down into the couch. And um, that spot did not dry for like a day and a half. That film was extraordinary and i'd never want to go near it again because i don't think i'll survive and uh the only leave boy in new york played at the end so that's <laughs> that's the hem of the garment that we're about to try on here everyone i guess now we should hear a clip i have a kleenex at the ready mark are you prepared i i do believe so yes okay here we go I'm so glad that you clipped the part that you clipped because when he says, let your honesty shine the way it shined on me, that goes back to my earlier statement about this album being about a beautiful friendship that needs to end because it's like, yeah, what a, what a fucking beautiful thing to say about someone that you care about. And like, you know that the world is going to get to see them in the way that you've gotten to see them. And even though it means you don't get to see them like that for a while, you're glad that other people do like, that's like really loving someone. Oh, well, and everything about that segment has this, um, funereal feeling the, the, um, choir harmonies, um, the organ, um, and there's also this, I mean, there's also this, uh, it's Paul Simon singing, but the vocal is very Garfunkelian. Mm-hmm. So there's this, I mean, Paul Simon usually keeps his powder quite dry, which is why when he, when there is emotion, it's devastating um, because he he isn't as free with it vocally as Garfunkel is. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of ragged wail occasionally, which is then quickly controlled, 
it's like he doesn't want uh, Tom, which, you know, they used to be Tom and Jerry. That was their original folk duo name. So this this fond nickname from the past that he's using in this valedictory way for this relationship. Mm. And then sort of pulling the emotion back so that uh, Art Garfunkel doesn't feel guilty mm. about about going on his way. The real, the real and recognizable quality of trying to communicate with someone in this way is, I mean, it, it gets me from a different angle every time, Mm. but it still gets me every time, every time. I mean, I have Um, tears. So yeah. In my eyes, I've had them since the clip started. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, there's like a tear. It's sort of like welling. There's like a puddle at the bottom of one of my eyeglass lenses. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just, I miss people. And this song is, every now and then you just need to like have a cry, I think. And Mm. this song can sort of let you, it sort of opens the door into um, saying goodbye to people that you miss again and then going back about your day i also uh, it gets to that midnight cowboy loneliness that is like a particular city loneliness and feeling like you're the only like how lonely grief is and it's particular sometimes and the way that it shifts and you can't always like even if people who are still around want to shoulder some of that weight they can't, they can't always get the same handhold that you have. I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary songwriting. Um, spoiler, this is absolutely my number one. I could not put any other song in that spot. And uh, I'm sorry that I was the, that the um, Paul Simon of the pair went Garfunkel on you there for a second. I but, love it. You know, no, it, don't it, ever it apologize. You're my Garfunkel. <laughs> I love you the most. I love Tom, you so much. Get your too, plane right on time. You know, <laughs> I've had I was like crying on the phone talking to you about our relationship the other day. <laughs> As you well know, <laughs> um, we we do that. I just also find it so incredibly moving in this song. How it's just so easy to be angry at someone when they leave, or to be angry at someone yeah. when something changes. But when you really love someone, you accept and own your sadness and you don't make it their problem. Yeah. And the depth of compassion and feeling that he demonstrates in this song and the way that he just wants the world to get to experience what his friend has to offer, even though he's devastated that he won't get to experience it. It's just so real and... It's just like such a, it, I, I think of this song as being a vision of what we should all try to be because nobody gets to escape disappointment, but we can yeah, choose to, re, we can choose to greet it with this sense of affection. And this could be applied to someone who has died. It could be applied to someone who is simply moving across town, but this is like how I want to live in the world. Like this is a goal for me emotionally. Yeah, Grace. Grace is right. Grace. And so now I have now, to try to explain to you one of the most profound experiences I've ever had of experiencing live music. Okay. There is a band called Sky Pony that performed uh, at a place downtown in New York called the Sheen Center. And they have a pretty small stage there. But when Sky Pony, which is like six people decided that they were going to perform The Only Living Boy in New York. They got, I think, like 20 people from this Greenwich Village neighborhood choir up on the stage with them. And Sky Pony is a band that puts on a really great show, and they were in very elaborate makeup and costuming. And then these 20 folks from the village, which was, you know, we were in the village, (laughs) just people from the neighborhood, they walked on and they were just wearing, like, shirts. You know, they're just normal people. And they were singing the choral parts that you hear in this song in this tiny space. And I swear to God, it was like 
what religion is supposed to be when I heard that. And- Transporting. Well, and what a wonderful, what a wonderful, um, like since the, since Simon and Garfunkel came out of the village beatnik scene, like yeah. what a wonderful place and vibe for that. Yeah. Transporting experience. And, uh, there are recordings that they've done of other performances of the song, even with the choir, and they don't hold up because how could they hold up? Because I was just there having this experience, and that's another reason that I love this song. Now, that, all that being said, Sarah, it is still only my fifth place song. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I'm sitting here oh like tears rolling down my face talking about how the song introduced me to the, the feeling of what religion is supposed to create. Fifth place. <laughs> I Well, yeah, this is where I was with the boxer. Um, but I'm really glad that you told that story because uh, you created my segue into a clip that I pulled of the same song by David Mead, mm. who I think is ordinarily quite gifted at when he does a cover. Like he has a cover of, um, oh my God, why can't I remember the song? It's a Michael Jackson song. Oh, my God. Human nature? Never mind. Yes. Thank you. Um, I can't believe you got it from my shitty singing. <laughs> You're the best. Um, That's why we're married. So, Well, seriously. Um, I'm lucky that was in tune. David Mead usually is better at identifying the parts of a an existing song that he can leverage his talents to, like, raise the raise those parts and then drop out the other parts. So when his cover of The Only Living Boy in New York was on Everwood, which of course it was, talk about automatic tears, um, I was a little surprised that the interpretation wasn't everything that I've hoped. And I'm wondering, I'm going to play a short clip, roughly the same part of the song. Uh, I'm wondering what you think of the idea that this song, outside of its original like it, it can't be experienced as recorded by someone else. Mm. Like that you would have to be in the room mm-hmm. with it, which is sometimes the which is sometimes the case, not always. Anyway, here's a clip. Hey, let your honesty shine, shine, shine now. I just think David Mead plus that song should be way better than that is. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure why it doesn't work. I, yeah. There, Thoughts? I, I think that you're right. There's something I, like that was perfectly pretty. Yeah, it was fine. It wasn't incompetent. He has a lovely instrument, but I think that he is, I think that because he does not come at it from like usually he's the Garfunkel in an, an in any arrangement. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to come at this vocal from a Simon to start from a Simon place. Mm. Otherwise it's too much. Like I feel like he was trying to sort of like like it shines on me. Like uh okay. Like it, it's all right there in the lyric. You don't actually have to do that much to it. But at the same time if you're not Paul Simon sort of sending Art Garfunkel off on a on an ice flow, then <laughs> maybe it just doesn't connect. But then you told that story about seeing it live. So maybe the harmony is necessary? Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I, I think that there's some it's it's something there's something in this song that makes it maybe work best live, unless you're Paul Simon who lived it. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting to think yeah. about I don't know either. Um, David Mead, if you're listening to this, I hope you're not for your sake. But um, first of all, you're great. But second of all, why don't you write me? <laughs> before before we go on, let me just say the patrons put this song in third place. So um, okay. number one from you, third place from them, fifth place from me. Uh, but now what were you? You Boy. had a letter I think you were going to write me? <laughs> I, I was inviting David Mead to write us. Um in lieu of actually discussing, we don't have a clip for this, do we? No, good lord, no. 
okay, why don't you write me um, is not helped by coming in after the mood of the only living boy in New York. Um, but mostly it's just not my thing. The faux reggae is not the greatest. The wah, wah, wah. Like, it just seems very glib. Um, maybe whoever it is isn't writing you because you're an emotional abuser who makes threats of suicide. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to hang myself from a tree if you don't send me a letter. Hi, is tree he he? Yet, yeah, fuck you. Don't do that, even as a joke. I know it was 1970, but that's not okay. And uh, it's just not... It's not pleasant to listen to, and it's super jarring after this experience of, like, lived loss and renewal in The Only Living Boy in New York. Then there's this turd. (laughs) I I hate this song. Last place. One point. That is also where the patrons put it, and in fact, it only got one vote. So who, don't who we, knows? Don't we have someone who always votes for one thing because she feels sad for it? Uh, yeah, I think that would happen. I think it might be Kat who likes to vote for the underdog. <laughs> well, anyway, um, that's and I put this song in. Kat's ninth. like, it's not me. <laughs> I put this song in ninth place because I just but it's like the, the bottom three for me, this El Condor Pasa and So Long Frank Lloyd Wright, like. It like they're all kind of in last place. I just yeah, like this one marginally this is what higher I was before because it's bouncier, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. So you'd rather be a forest than a you'd rather be a letter than a snake. Than a street or body. yeah, I guess so. Um, than point, a snail. <laughs> point point being ninth place, three points. Both of you and the patrons put it in last place. I certainly have never had an experience listening to "Why Don't You Write Me" that made me think about religion. Maybe praying that it would be over. Yeah. Let's take a quick break from talking about music to talk about kicks, namely the ones you can find at our newest sponsor, eBay.com. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to snag the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by a team of independent professional authenticators who verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points, I kind of want this job, and give sneaks a digital stamp of authenticity. And here's a plus for sneaker sellers. eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and up, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. ebay.com sneakers. Thanks, eBay. Then we get to the weirdest moment on this album, which is a live cover of the Everly Brothers' Bye Bye Love. Okay. And we don't have a clip. Um, I like this way better than the original, which, um, and of course, to me, this was the original. Mm -hmm. I actually got in an argument in the car with, I think, my dad about it. I was like six. And I'm like... Oh, it's that Simon and Garfunkel song. He's like, well, actually, <laughs> my dad, the original reply guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, there was no internet because it was 1979 or whatever. And I was like enraged. Um, I was similarly enraged when my grandmother claimed that uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania fire engines were green. And I was like, not only is that a lie, how dare you even suggest that fire engines not be red. And then one drove by and it was green. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Bryn Mawr is trying to, trying to play at. I burst into tears and was inconsolable for like two hours. <laughs> it was furious. It was just like an inversion of the order of things. And I had not been, I had not been consulted. Oh my but, God, um, Sarah. Enough about me. Being Phoebe Bridgers from the earliest possible age. <laughs> you know, I talking like, about no. things that we've never known about each other. I have never heard that story before. <laughs> and I love it. I I have such affection for you. Such new there's a new facet of my affection for you now. I we were like in town 
oh my God, we were in town. I think we had walked out. It was like four blocks away from her house, which was a block away from the campus. And um, in case anyone's trying to locate themselves, Yelp Bryn Mawr graduates, she lived on North Marion Drive. And we're like walking home from town. I think we were at her friend's house for tea or something. And like this fire engine and she was like, see? And, you know, she was as sort of smug and graceless a winner as buntings are, my grandma. So I started sobbing and she had to like steer me home because I was crying so hard that I couldn't see. <laughs> and now the dog is freaking out because look, fire engine, fire engines should be red. God damn. You know that whole I'm meme that happens from time to time online where they're like, tell one story from your childhood that epitomizes everything about you as an adult. That, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Absolutely rigid, compulsive rule follower who um and super defensive about being wrong stuff. <laughs> oh my god my grandmother told that story on me until i'm gonna say two days before she died too as she should have because i mean calm down sarah Jesus, who cares oh <laughs> uh, your dog is really still like, bad on your behalf though Oh, my God. Somewhere beyond the veil, she's, like, telling the story again to my <laughs> grandfather, who's like, I heard. She sounds like a pill. <laughs> anyway. So all of that said, that's probably more than I have to say. What you just told us is probably more than I have to say about the <laughs> cover of Bye Bye Love. I mean, I agree with you. I prefer it, too, because I find we talked about this when we discussed Linda Ronstadt's cover of When Will I Be Loved. But I just don't enjoy the mm-hmm. way that the Everly Brothers' voices sound. So this version of Bye Bye Love is better to me. Eighth place, because, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's fine. Eighth place, four points for me. Um, Yeah, I enjoy the hand claps and the, like, laughing and screeching in the middle. Um, Because, I, I don't know, like, that's the, that's one of the parts I like about the Central Park album too is um like when they're singing america and they say the line about the new jersey turnpike and then the crowd is like yeah like really we're we're cheering the turnpike now (laughs) you you guys must be really happy that uh these two are back together um yeah i mean i like the song fine and i like it so much better without the um hornet's nest vocals that the everly brothers bring i had it in the same place eighth four points well, that's also, it was in a tie for eighth place from the patrons. So we just all completely agree. Oh, harmony. Uh, and that brings us to Song for the Asking, our less than two minutes long closing track. And Sarah, if I'm not mistaken, we do have a clip for this. Here it is now. Ask me and I'll play all the love that I There's really not that much to this song, but the fact that it's the last one and it's this like beautiful, like little waltz. Um, but I think the meta meaning of it in the context of the, the valediction of this album is um, maybe greater than the songs like worth mm. qua song. But it's so I mean, it's like simple and beautiful and like simple in this almost abstracted to a fairy tale way and then Mm. it ends on this like twang like there there is an uptick but it's still like kind of a minor chord thing i just think it's really well done even though it's it it really is this like um not a moose bouche but like you know it's one of those simon and garfunkel songs it's like it's a minute 45 it's like bookends Mm, you just mm-hmm. put it on the end of side a of a mixtape like that's its function and you don't always hear it really mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean i i like it and it reminded me of um one of my favorite songs of all time uh 
Renee and Georgette Magritte by Paul Simon. And um, just the the way he has sometimes of ending things where like the the last note sustains and you're like, oh, that was cute. (laughs) 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 So in case anyone has been um, unable to uh, (laughs) unable to catharsitize this experience to date. I do have a clip from that. Um, Mark, unless you have anything urgent to say about Song for the Asking before I play it. No, just that it's lovely. And it is, um, it's, I, I think of it again as being part of the My Friend is Leaving canon of this album where he's saying, here, take this tune from me. I'm going to acknowledge as best I can in this short amount of time that I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, but I really care about you. It's lovely. And it's 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 a nice sigh on which to end the album yeah yeah all the love that i hold inside like i mean what a paul simon way of putting it that it's like yeah whatever so i guess i'll see you around best friend like oh okay paul simon you're you're killing us here please um yeah he's he's really good at that like for the this is one of the many reasons that um this album makes me think of us, Mark and Sarah, as Simon and Garfunkel, that um, this seemingly minimalist, unsentimental one is actually a Malamar whose thin (laughs) chocolate shell hides a reserve of very soft marshmallow. (laughs) This is really not a revelation to anyone who has listened to even two minutes of this podcast ever despite the phantom jokes. But um, this is really what I mean in uh, Renee and Georgia at Magritte. Here's the clip. And what do you think they have hidden away in the cabinet cold of their hearts? The penguins, the moon the Oreos and the five cents for now and ever after as it was before Renee and George and Magritte with their dog after the war I just love that it's the two of them sort of contemplating uh, their past and the world of two that and this cabinet of sort of uh, emotional curiosities that contains all music. Mm. And uh, so that's, I think, the world of us two. I do, too. One of the things I said um, in my vows to my husband at our wedding was about the joy of becoming the world's expert in the minutia of the person that you're marrying. Uh, like, yeah, I remember that. I am the supreme curator of the Andrew Museum, and he is the supreme cur- curator of the Mark Museum because we just know all these weird things about each other that nobody else <laughs> knows. But I think that the <laughs> level of emotional specificity with which we have conducted ourselves during these now almost five years we're not kidding when we say that we're pod married. <laughs> no. It's true. It's true. Um, Renee and George at Magritte and their pod. After so, the war. That's us. To take us back to Song for the Asking, um, I put it in seventh place and gave it five points. Uh, I am guessing, based on what I'm looking at here, that you also put it in seventh place? Yes, I did. Yes, and the patrons had it in a tie for eighth uh, with Bye Bye Love. So that's four points okay. for them. And um, yeah, that seems right. You know, yeah. Th- yeah, there's another does. episode of this show where we talked at least briefly about Renee and Georgette Magritte and their dog after the war, but I cannot remember for the life I of me mean, when it happened. I mean, I feel like I bring it up. I feel like I bring it up in a sideways fashion because I feel like to actually try to devote an entire episode to this song. I would like physically dissolve (laughs) and I would just be this puddle that you would have to carry around like in a (laughs) fishbowl 
with some with some colorful sea glass in it and be like, this is my former co-host, Sarah. She's she's dissolved. She's, she's still crying. Her. Apologies in advance. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I oversubscribe the song in a big way, but there's the wistfulness of this vocal, but also the the safety and security of of these people you know in a city not their own but they're together i don't know he he really has a way of conveying that that um that i hope is i hope the um academic music establishment appreciates how easy he makes it look and how very difficult it is to have multiple songs in your catalog that will destroy a grouchy old asshole like myself <laughs> in like four bars. So yeah. Um, but that that's why I think I'd never bring it for a full episode. Cause it's like, do, does anyone want to hear me blowing my nose for 15 minutes? <laughs> well, with that said, because we do want you to cape some salt water in your body. Yeah. Uh, now let's let's look at our final standings. Uh, very last yes, is why don't you write me with a mere five points? <laughs> that seems about right. Yeah. Next to last is El Condor Pasa. Nope, nope, mm-hmm. nope. Incorrect. <laughs> it, next, no, you couldn't. Next to last, that was actually a Freudian slip of me wanting it to be next to last. So coming in in ne- in last place is why don't you write me next to last is so long Frank Lloyd Wright, okay, and then th- the going back from the bottom then the, the the next song up with ten points is El Condor Pasa. So those are our bottom three. Okay, now we have um uh, we have a tie for second place, but I'm going to choose to allow them both to retain the silver medal. So okay. uh, in fourth place with twenty points we have. Keep the customer satisfied. Huh. Which okay. I think is a pretty good showing for that song. Neat. Yeah. Um, In third place with 27 points, and it's super tight here at the top, is uh, The Only Living Boy in New York. Okay. Tied for second with 28 points. So again, 27 points for third, 28, merely one point more for second. A, t- a tie between Bridge Over Troubled Water and The Boxer. Okay. Which means, Sarah, that with 29 points, only one point above that, but with 29 points in first place is Cecilia. Ah, okay. And it wasn't anybody's first place pick. It was my third, your second, the patron second, but it was able through the law of averages and the preferential ballot to become the first place pick. Well, and in those top, in the top four or five, it's like one point separating them, right? So yeah. It's the the top four songs. There are one with twenty seven points, two with twenty eight points, and one with twenty nine points. So that's a really really tight I mean, race. Yeah, that's so interesting. I really thought that um, I really thought I was going to be much more on my own with Cecilia, but I'm glad I I'm glad I wasn't. In fact, she's breaking all of our hearts, but we like it. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and what I also like well, is the opportunity to spend a good full afternoon talking about this album to you. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I I really have to go uh, go hydrate. Um, not with orange seltzer though. No, gross. <laughs> I know. I know. See, you're a curator of weird facts. <laughs> I I'm telling you, I don't I don't think that's that weird a fact. I always look at it askance now too. That I'm like, hmm. <laughs> All right, then. Judged. Like, I don't mind you, but my friend would like a word. <laughs> well, um, listeners, thank you. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. Simon and Garfunkel, thank you both so much. And uh, patrons, thank you also for your uh, participation in the polls. And I have to say the listeners and the patrons both, your comments in, as we approached this episode have been a delight to experience on our Patreon page and on social media. So we also will look very much forward to hearing your thoughts on how this album has shaken out for us. Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly made 
Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkAndSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.